Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back. Second hour, OutKick 360 on the OutKick network. Chad Withrow with Paul Kuharski alongside. We are live from the 6th and Peabody studios, downtown Nashville, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer having a great time. Got the whole crew here, including the chairman of the board, David Reed. A lot of NFL, a lot of football talk coming up this hour. Armando Salguero of OutKick, senior NFL writer for OutKick, will join us in about 20 minutes, right at 20 minutes from now. In, 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 uh, exactly, on the dot. On the note. So we're going to talk a lot with, uh, with Armando about various NFL headlines. But first, Paul, you know, shockingly, we haven't spent a ton of time on the NFL draft. And it's right around the corner. April 28th will be the first round of the NFL draft. We wanted to spend some time talking draft. We're going to have a draft expert on the show tomorrow as well. Uh, We'll tell you a little bit about that coming up a little bit later in the show. But something specifically you wanted to get into, Paul, about the lack of certainty in the top half of this year's first round. Here's what I want to do. Um, And I was laying in bed last night thinking about this. Um, I'm I'm thinking first half of the first round – and I know there are plenty of guys who, who you know, don't, don't turn out to be superstars or bedrock players um, for a lot of times. But I feel like the first half of this first round has guys who are projected to go who are less solid, look less solid to me than most years. Another reason maybe for some of the less uh, lack of buzz. So I thought, let's go through Dane Brugler's latest draft. He's one of our favorite draft guys from The Athletic. I'm going through it. We'll go one at a time. I'll propose to you, um, with many of these guys, a hole in their game or a concern of them coming into the NFL. We'll discuss it. You'll tell me if I'm, I'm being fair or not, if I'm on to something. We'll see where we come out after 16 here. And then we'll decide, is, is, are there more guys in the top half of the first round here? Does it feel like there are more guys with a, a reasonable doubt than and, there and are you're, usually? You're looking at this, you know, if you're going to go to the draft, and look, we get it. Don't hit us up on the YouTube chat or on Twitter or wherever saying, well, everything, there's nothing certain in the NFL draft. Yeah, we understand that. But you like to... But going into a draft where you see a prospect or a guy that you watched in college and you think... I know what this player is and what he's going to deliver. And he's going to be really good right for away. my I feel, team. I feel really good about yeah. it. And as a GM, you want, if you have a top 16 pick, if you're in the first half of the first round, you would like to, to put that card in and feel absolute relief and confidence. And not put the card in and think, mm. we need this, 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 and this to, to work out right. for this guy for it to be what we want. Right. Gotcha. All right, so let's go. That's the criteria. So number one, Aiden Hutchinson, going uh, from Michigan to Jacksonville. I, I think he's a terrific player, but he is a really high-effort guy, sometimes lacking in technique. And if you've got a number one pick, this guy's not the level 
of the Bosa brothers, of Chase Young, of Miles Garrett. It's the wrong year to have the top pick. And if you're handing this in as Jacksonville, you're excited about them, but you're thinking, I'm not getting the same level talent that these other teams have gotten when they've drafted a pass rusher number one overall in recent years. I think with Hutchinson, I feel certain about what he can do and what he's going to be in the NFL, but that certainty is that he's not number one overall pick worthy. So in a year that he may go number one overall, I don't think he's a number one overall talent. Right, it feels like 5-6 in a regular Yeah, it year. feels like, okay, it, it almost feels like the Mario Williams draft a little bit uh, with the Texans. There's nobody else. Yeah, there's just, he's the guy that's there, and I don't feel great about him being number one overall level talent. Number two, uh, Trevon Watkins from Georgia. Walker. Walk, Walker? Yes. Sorry. Wrote that down wrong. Detroit. See, I don't even know the damn guy's name. He's <laughs> uh, unproven as a high-level pass rusher. And I think there's a lot of being projected onto him, I feel like. Now, this is obviously not coming from GMs and scouts. This is coming from draft people who I read. But it seems like there's a lot of wishfulness being put on him. I think he could turn out to be a great player, obviously. But are you drafting him saying, yes, I got my guy? Here's what's tricky about all those Georgia defensive guys. Um, they're going to be the hardest to project because Walker, he has elite traits, right? He's got freaky athletic ability. Very athletic. So people are going to love that, and they're going to look at it and say, well, he wasn't overly productive in college, but that could be spun as a positive. Out of their not, scheme. Not overused, out of their scheme. Just, you know, a lot of other guys that had, to, he was a good job, did a good job playing his role on that team. He'll be great in our scheme. He's going to be great in our scheme. He's got the athletic traits. And then I, I look at N'Kobe Dean, for instance, who was the best player on their defense. He's a second rounder. Every projection I've seen has him second round coming out of Georgia. Probably so behind Devin Lloyd of Utah. It's a weird one where it doesn't necessarily line up. You know, Roquan Smith, when he came out, he was the most productive, best player on a Georgia defense, and he also was the highest pick coming off that. That's not going to be the case with this Georgia defense because they had so many elite athletes, and some of them weren't the most productive guys on that Georgia defense. So I'm right there with you, Paul, on this one. Total uncertainty about what Walker is going to be in, in the NFL. Number three is uh, Icky Akwanu going to Houston from NC State. I don't have a lot of concerns about him. I, I, and I generally feel pretty good about top tackles in the draft. Do they all pan out? No. Is the hit, and the hit rate's not as good as it used to be because they're coming out of pass-happy schemes and they don't run black as, as much generally in college. But I think, I think this guy and in two picks, Evan Neal going to the Giants out of Bama – I feel good about both of them. I'd feel pretty good in this draft with either one of those guys if I need an offensive lineman and I'm taking either one of them. I'm not going to sit and pretend that I watched a lot of NC State right. over the course of his career or, or studied the film on him. I think just in general, you know, tackles, anyone on the end of the offensive line, it's a bigger swing. You, you could, I mean, there's, there's guys with that skill set, you can swing and miss a lot at tackle. I feel more certain about Interior guys on the offensive line, especially a center, Lindenbaum for for Iowa, probably a pretty sure thing. And he's not in the but first not half. but not a position of uh, where you go out and get someone high in the in the draft. 
So I'm going to say I don't know. I'm going to say uncertain. So you put him uncertain too. I, I, I'm so going. You're going even further than I am. I'm there. going uncertain, uncertain on two and three. And number one, if it's Aiden Hutchinson, I'm certain he's not a number one overall pick worthy guy. All right, number four, Kayvon Thibodeau, Thibodeau, who we met at at the Super Bowl, who we talked to. We came out of that conversation with doubts. And universally, everybody, even his biggest proponents, say, well, he didn't play hard enough. He didn't play hard enough snap to snap. I am scared to death of spending the fourth pick in the draft on a guy who's got a reputation when he was trying to earn draft status of not playing hard enough. It's also an organization in the Jets that you don't exactly have the solid structure in place right. in the locker room. Where guys are going to pressure Where someone's going to say, right you know, thing. with our team, it's not Pittsburgh, it's not Baltimore, where it's like we can draft this talent and he's going to come in and, and he's going to do the right thing because we do our the right thing as an organization. Right. Culture. He's going to be, he's going to fall in line with our culture. I don't see that with him. The interview we had with him in LA left me with way more questions than answers. Um, if I sat down and talked to, to Thibodeau, I would not come out of that meeting as an NFL exec thinking he's he's, he's worth guy. the risk of a top five pick. Absolutely. He's got great talent. Physically, he looks the part. If I – I mean, there, what did we say after the interview? It was kind of a, is he for real? There were times where I, I believed him and other times where I didn't. Yeah, he was, I couldn't tell if it was a show or if he was being honest. He was giving was us lines. Strange. Number six overall to Carolina out of pit, Kenny Pickett. Well, you skipped number five. Oh, I'm sorry. So Evan five, five was Evan Neal. We mentioned to the Giants out of Bama. You've got questions about him. I feel relatively good about him. No, I feel good about Evan Neal. Okay. That's, that's the first right. one I feel great about. Uh, Kenny Pickett out of pit to Carolina. Uh, look, we know what he is and what he, he's not exceptionally dynamic. You know, I don't think the small hands are a big deal, but, but um, NFL teams put, put value on that. He played in cold weather with small hands and had a good college career. Uh, for a long time at, at, at Pitt. But for the first guy, I'm getting the first quarterback in the draft, and he's Kenny Pickett. I mean, I, 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 this is a terrible year to, to be picking the first quarterback in the draft at six and, and for it to be Kenny Pickett. You know, the talk of Kenny Pickett is a high floor, not a high ceiling. I don't want to talk about floor with a quarterback. I need it to be talking about ceiling. I, I, I don't feel great about it at all. Paul, I think even teams would be lying to themselves if they acted like any of these quarterbacks are top 10 worthy. Someone's going to go in the top 10. I have no doubt about it. But someone's going to get overdrafted. I love Kenny Pickett. I love Kenny Pickett as a late first rounder. So uncertain with him. Number seven is Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. Again to the Giants. They're picking fifth and seventh. Sauce Gardner, the first line in everything you read about him is pro ready. Pro ready, pro ready, pro ready. I don't have any concerns about Sauce Gardner. I think Sauce Gardner is going to be a good pro probably very quickly. I feel pretty good about that pick. I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I, I like it. That, that's, I think there's a position here we're going to get into that I feel good about, and it's corner. Keep going. Eight, Malik Willis of Liberty to Atlanta. I mean, he can't read the field. He's never been asked to read the field. You've got to develop this guy. You're drafting a quarterback in the top eight. He's got to have some pro readiness beyond – the arm that Malik Willis has. Malik Willis is a bunch of traits that you might like, but he's not a quarterback package that you want in the first round and, and a regular basis. In this class, he's intriguing, but I'm not excited about adding Malik Willis to my team right now. I love Kenny Pickett to the Falcons, if that's what ends up there. I do not love Malik Willis to the Falcons. 
uh, put me down as uncertain. Nine, Derek Stingley out of LSU to Seattle. He's done nothing the last two years. You're going back three seasons to when he had a tremendous year. I, I'm drafting a guy who hasn't done anything in two years in the top ten? Huge questions. I, I've got questions about the lack of, uh, the lack of playing with Stingley. Ability-wise, I like it, but I I, I'm, I'm somewhat uncertain about that. But I do like with Sauce Gardner, another corner we're going to get to coming up. And Stingley, I like that batch of corners better than some other position groups here. Ten, Garrett Wilson from USC to the Jets. I like him. I, I, I don't have a lot of beef there. I mean, he's not what we've seen with the highest uh, receivers in recent drafts. Uh, he's from he, Ohio State. He's not, sorry, he's not Jamar Chase, but he's a very good receiver off a very good receiving team. And I, I feel comfortable with that pick. I'm, I feel I'm uncomfortable saying all of these Ohio State receivers on a great receiving core are going to be, be really good, good pros. I, I like Wilson. Uh, I like a guy projected later in the draft even more from Ohio State at receiver. 11, Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. I don't love him much higher than this because safety just isn't valued that, that high. But to Washington here, he, he's pretty damn good. And given the alternatives, I feel all right about that pick. Yeah, he's a sure thing, but he's a safety. Yeah. I mean, of, of the guys that he's leaps and bounds, it seems like, ahead of everyone at safety, I think he's a certainty. Trent McDuffie, 12th, out of Washington to Minnesota. He's not long. You want a long corner if you're drafting this high. He's 5'10". His arms aren't even 30 inches long, and he had two interceptions in his, in his entire career. Probably a very good player, but again, he's not knocking my socks off when I'm writing his name on the card. Of the first three cornerbacks gone in this mock draft from Dane Brugler, I would rather have Stingley ahead of him, even though Stingley has not played uh, for the better part of, of two years because of the ability. Uh, I'm not in love with, with Trent McDuffie. 13, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State uh, going to Houston. I know the least about this guy than about anybody. Yeah, I, I can't say much about him. I, he lacks finesse is, is the one knock I found on him. I don't know what basket to put him in. Uncertain for me. Uh, 14, Devin Lloyd of Utah going to Baltimore. Going to Baltimore throws him over the top. They know how to draft inside linebackers. I think he's a really good player. I don't love middle linebackers as high draft value, but I think it's a pretty safe pick. And you, you're going to like it. And he's a four-down linebacker. I, I, I love it. And it's, I'm probably blinded also because it's Baltimore making the pick, and they would know. But I, I think that's a certainty, especially for a team like them. Two more. 15, Jordan Davis from Georgia to Philadelphia. Look, a guy is a physical marvel, some of the stuff he did at the Combine, but can he handle a higher snap count? I'm never going to be excited about, about drafting an early-down run defender in the top 15 who's going to likely play two downs for me. That's a very situational guy for me. Good, good, very good at his situation. Space eater. Ideally, but two down guy. Space eater. I, I don't – you said you don't like talking about floor with these guys already. I, I don't know that I can talk about ceiling with him because he's fully developed. I feel like he is – when you draft him, that's what he is. He's a space eater. You know what you're getting. 16, Charles Cross, Mississippi State to New Orleans. Okay, I, I, very good player. 6'4", 307. 
not a power-based guy for the run game. He had seven holds last season. Comes out of a pass-happy program. But it's a passing league now. But does he have enough in the run game coming into the league? I think that's a reasonable question. Now, I don't know that you're doing better than Charles Cross. You're not doing better than Charles Cross at this stage if you're looking for a tackle. But there's a question there. How well can he run block for you? So let's add them up, Paul, of the uncertainties of the top 16 picks in the draft. I had 10. Yeah, so more than half of the top of the first round. I feel like that's a lot. Yeah, it is, and I think it just shows if this draft had a quarterback that everyone was okay with or in love with, I think it honestly changes the tint of the rest of the first round. Let's do two things. Let's, let's give that quarterback and then a clear, uh, tremendous non-quarterback instead of Hutchinson. So the quarterback would be first, and then this, the first non-quarterback being somebody better than Hutchinson. Somebody that's well, here's more the other like weird a, thing a about Bosa it. or a Garrett or a Chase Young. This is, again, this is, we're going by Dane Brugler's mock draft of the Athletic. There's one wide receiver taken in the first 16 picks. And to me, that's the strongest position. Yeah, a bunch of going shortly after If he had more receivers that. in the first, at the top half, I've got a bigger You've got number. it open. What do you got starting at 17? 17, your next receiver is taken at 18 with Drake London out of USC. Then you get a bit of a run. 19, Jamison Williams. I love Hurt. Jamison Williams, but he's coming off the ACL uh, surgery. Uh, you've got uh, Chris Olave from Ohio State, the other Ohio State wide receiver, 22. Traylon Burks, I love, from Arkansas to the Buffalo Bills at 25. That's a good little run right there. I think that's it. Oh, uh, Dotson Dotson from Penn State, 32 to the Lions. So the back half, I like a lot of those receivers, gets a little bit more certain with guys. We are certain that Armando Salguero is always terrific. He is a senior NFL writer for OutKick, and he will join us next. This is OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Fall Guy, only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. Outkick 360 live downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer alongside Paul Koharski. I'm Chad Withrow. Armando Salguero, senior NFL writer for Outkick.com, is on with us right now. Look at Armando. Looking great. Looking fresh. He's got some things going up behind him right now. He's doing a lot of moving. First question, Armando, are you properly hydrated yes. today? How's the water? I am properly hydrated. Um, I'm normally more properly hydrated on the weekend, but I'm fine. <laughs> Lovely Thursday. Yes, I am. You're ready to go. Your disposition is good. We're ready to talk some football, and you're hydrated, which uh, matters more than anything else. Good deal. We just did an exercise. Uh, we went through – you know, top 16 from Dane Brugler's latest draft under the idea that there are, are, there's less surety about a lot of these top players than there is in an average draft. Just generally speaking, would you agree with that? We're, we're taking somebody like uh, 
you know, Stingley. Well, it's been three years since we've seen the, the, the best of Stingley or, or McDuffie, two cornerbacks. But McDuffie, you know, good player, but lacks, lacks size. We went through a bunch of guys and found something wrong with them, which is an annual draft tradition. But it feels like with top guys in this draft, it's easier to do that than maybe in an average year. Yeah, you're you're sounding like that infamous anonymous uh, yeah. NFL <laughs> uh, that everybody quotes, you know, this time of year, and who you know lowers the boom on all the prospects. I understand what you're saying. It's a it's kind of a yeah, but kind of draft, even at the top. Having said that, I think that there are some players throughout this draft that are going to surprise some people. I think that there are some players throughout this draft that are going to help their teams. Uh, if not immediately, you know, you know, year one, year two, I, I, you know, we're, we're going to go back to the quarterback and the lack thereof. That's the reason everyone's down on the draft. If you really admit it, that's the reason, but yeah, uh, the other players, they have some issues, and um, they're human. So am I. So are you, brother. You ain't perfect. In fact, I don't like your verbs. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they do. I do need to activate more. So, uh, Baker Mayfield, you wrote about this, Armando, at Outkick.com. Feels disrespected, which uh, you talked about being human. I think that would be human if uh, you're Baker Mayfield to feel disrespected uh, with all of this. I love the podcast that he was on, the You Never Know podcast. Love the setup with the dog that appeared to be dead next to him the entire time during the interview. A lot of symbolism for his career as a Cleveland Brown with the dog pound and the dead dog next to him and everything else. I guess my question for you is, what do you see as being next for Baker Mayfield right now in his career? He'll be traded. And we're going to hit one of those milestones that typically force teams to, to, to do stuff. The NFL is all about deadlines and it's all about hitting milestones where teams are forced to activate whatever plan that they might have, um, you know, on board. The NFL draft is one of those moments. When you have a, a team that's gonna be on the clock, they need a quarterback, they're going to look at the quarterbacks who are available in the draft and they're going to compare him or them to Baker Mayfield. My guess is they're going to, you know, decide if Mayfield is an upgrade given his price tag, given the fact that you have to pay him and also the fact that you have to give up draft pick compensation for him. They're going to decide if, the brand new thing out of this so-called subpar quarterback draft class is better than the number one overall pick of the 2018 draft, that draft class. As far as Baker being disrespected, dude, I mean, I wish someone would disrespect me like that, as in, I do believe he has made over $28 million dollars in the last three years. And so please disrespect me like that as an employer. Well, and 
not the disrespect part of it, but the decision-making for other teams that need a quarterback. We know the draft, as you just mentioned, Armando plays a factor in this, but for the Baker Mayfield-Jimmy Garoppolo market, does Kyler Murray and what's going on in Arizona play a factor in that? You've got Tom Pelissero reporting that they put their initial proposal in, and I'm talking about the Kyler Murray's camp, and then the Cardinals, that they haven't given him anything because they want him to play out his rookie contract right now. And now he's saying, I'd be surprised if he played this season under the current contract and that other teams are monitoring that. Do you buy that teams are monitoring that situation to see what they're going to do at quarterback before pulling the trigger on a trade for Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo or doing something in the draft? Well, obviously, if you're in the quarterback market, and you're not monitoring what's going on around you, you're not doing your job. And that includes monitoring Baker Mayfield. That includes monitoring Jimmy Garoppolo's shoulder injury. He can't, you know, he's not even throwing yet, supposedly. So monitoring is part of the deal. Now, what I would say is this. Tyler Murray is going to end up playing for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I think Whatever at whatever stance all the parties are taking, and I and understand and remember, it's a negotiation. So whatever little nugget gets floated out to the media by either side, it's a negotiation tactic. Both sides want Kyler Murray quarterbacking the Arizona Cardinals this year. So my guess is regardless of what happens, it's going to end up that way and exactly that way because it just, it just doesn't make sense for the Cardinals to, tr- to what, to trade him. That's not going to happen. Uh, Kyler Murray's going to sit out and not get paid at all. That's not going to happen. Kyler Murray will play for the Arizona Cardinals this year. Um, Sammy Watkins to Green Bay seems like a, a, a smart move. Obviously, they're going to be active at receiver and probably tight end in, in the draft. But Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be around for, uh, for the offseason outside of minicamp. Um, I, I understand how unimportant a lot of things are at, at, during the offseason, but uh, receiver with a lot of new uh, – quarterback with a lot of new weapons, there, there's a lot to be gained there. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers really wants this thing to work, he should be spending as much time as possible with kid receivers. Um, isn't he shooting himself in the foot? Well, so there is that, right? But there's also the other part of that in which it's terrible optics. Aaron Rodgers is the highest paid player in the NFL. He's the highest paid player on that team. And his best example as the highest paid player on that team is to blow off all the voluntary offseason work. And no one is saying Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be ready. No one is saying Aaron Rodgers won't know uh, the offense or won't know his receivers eventually. But you are the highest paid guy on the team. You're, like it or not, you're the leader. You're the guy everyone else looks to. And also, by the way, the last time everyone saw you play, you were terrible in the playoff game that got the Green Bay Packers 
eliminated from the postseason. So, I, you know, I understand all the physical part. He's fine. He knows it. All the mental part. He's fine. He knows it. Optics, bad optics. The COVID regulation element is gone. But last year, the union was really pushing guys not to show up for the voluntary work. Uh, they, they felt like the, the, the big COVID offseason where nobody was around proved the offseason unnecessary. And they wanted to make the point by guys not showing up and continuing to do that. We haven't heard from the union yet heading into this offseason. You have any expectation one way or the other for what attendance will be like? Uh, and for if players are going to try to, again, negotiate down the expectation of teams during this? Well, so far, the half dozen teams that have started their offseason conditioning programs, their attendance has been good uh, and traditional. new coaches, though, usually do pretty well. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> new, yeah, but so far, that's all the evidence yeah. that we have to look at. And so, so far, it's been pretty good. Now, I get the feeling that when older coaches and coaches that have been around, I get the feeling when the New England Patriots get around to doing their program, guys are going to show up. I get, you know, uh, the Los Angeles Rams are going to show up. So uh, I'm not thinking that the NFLPA is going to find this being a hill that it wants to plant its flag and defend, uh, for, you know, for future reference and to get their guys to work less in the offseason. I haven't gotten that feel from anyone. Armando, I know that owners don't like having their money messed with in any way, huh. but, but do you get the sense like <laughs> I do that the other 31 owners are looking for any reason to allow Daniel Snyder to keep his team? as opposed to forcing some sort of league-operated, controlled coup that he has to sell the team to someone else because the precedent that would set, even if they're angry with him over skimming money off the top to the league with, with the ticket sale scandal? Right. So, first of all, Chad, I think we should say for the, you know, for the audience out there, the Washington commanders have denied any wrongdoing. Yeah, let's so, put that out there first. Let's get that out of the way, even though we might not necessarily believe it. It's uh, it, it's out of the way. It's also, by the way, Armando. I'm I'm glad you said that. But the level of detail in the story from I think the 40 employees that are essentially whistleblowers in this that are talking that they had the code word juice that went into their operation to take money off the top. The detail, the two books that they kept, one they showed the league, one they didn't. And the fact that they, they, they put money from a Garth Brooks concert, or they said some of the revenue was from, a, a, not a Garth Brooks, a Kenny Chesney concert, and the other one was from the Navy-Notre Dame football game and not from NFL games. There's a lot of detail in there, but you are right, Armando. Washington, the Washington commanders are officially denying that this happened. Right, and one of the, one of the principal points that the league office has always gone by and always used in determining what it's doing is history is, um, you know, whether a quote unquote defendant has a history of, 
prior violations. Daniel Snyder <laughs> uh, is getting up there. If he, if the FTC finds that he indeed did what his former employees are alleging, this is not just the first issue that he has. You have to understand right now, he is not allowed to run the team because a previous investigation showed that there was problem in the workplace and it went all the way to the top of the Washington football teams of chain of command, including ownership. So while Daniel Snyder hasn't taken responsibility for any of that, he obviously is right now not running the team as a result. And if you pile something else on top of that, to the degree that the government is, you know, breathing down the throat of an NFL club and thus the NFL, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, history is, suggests that there will be significant punishment, greater punishment than what has already been handed down. What's the next step beyond you can't run your team? Let's do the, the exercise. The next step beyond you can't run your team is you're out of here. Forced to sell. Exactly. And so uh, if he's not concerned uh, about his current situation, he's not paying attention. Derek Carr got himself uh, an extension. If the Raiders can get out of it, if, if this year's a total disaster, which I don't think most of us foresee, um, what do you envision as, as, as his upside? Have we seen the best of Derek Carr or is the best of Derek Carr to come now with, uh, with a new coach given a second chance and with Devontae Adams at the receiving end of some of his passes? Right. So my guess, Paul, is that you're going to see a Derek Carr who is going to be um, not necessarily – you know, putting the entire team on his shoulders or asked to do that. Uh, even when Tom Brady was Tom Brady in New England, Josh McDaniels, his, his attempts, his, his goal was to not make Tom Brady be a hero every game. There were moments that Tom Brady had to provide, you know, the great, the great play, the great moment, the electric pass. But the idea was let's, you know, let the whole team do their job. Sound familiar? And so, and so that way we're not putting it all on one guy. That is going to come over to the Las Vegas Raiders. Last year, Derek Carr was basically slinging and gunning and, and trying to make plays for a team that, you know, lost a lot of receivers, some of them, through tragedy, uh, I'm talking about the automobile act, you know, situation with Henry Ruggs. And as a result, yeah, he threw 41 touchdown passes, which is a tied for a career high, but he also threw 17 interceptions, which tied for a career high. I think what Josh McDaniels would be happier with is maybe 35 touchdown passes and seven interceptions, five interceptions. Armando, how difficult is it to cover this Dwayne Haskins story? And I ask it from this perspective. I'm assuming you got into covering football and sports because you didn't want to cover some other news items like this. You've got reports coming out 
I know from a radio host there in Miami about some details surrounding uh, the accident. And every time that I read a detail like this, I find myself almost uncomfortable talking about these circumstances that surround an untimely death of someone at such a young age. How difficult is it for you when you you get thrown into the mix of covering what what is is a news story like this and not just a football story? No, it's difficult because you're not sure what is true and what is a version of the story seen through someone's eyes who are not necessarily, you know, uh, expert at figuring out and piecing together tragedies. And who is, by the way? Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a, an account out there that uh, he was, I guess, a little confused as he was walking down the highway. And then, you know, all of a sudden the tragedy hit. He wasn't walking down the highway. He was walking across eight lanes of traffic, four going east, four going west at 630-ish in the morning when it's dark. So you can see the, the tire tracks of the dump truck on the highway still to this day of the guy that obviously at the last moment sees, you know, this gentleman and Dwayne Haskins is there. And I have no idea what happened. I wasn't there, but you know, every detail is a snapshot in time and the time is an instant. We do not have a complete picture. Do not pretend to have a, you know, to know what really happened because we don't. We weren't there. You know, basically two or three people really know what happened. And one of them, unfortunately and tragically, is no longer on this earth. Armando Salguero, Outkick.com, senior NFL columnist, joins us every week right here on Outkick 360. Armando, thanks so much, man. Glad that you're hydrated. Uh, have a great weekend upcoming and looking forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I am looking forward to this next segment because we get to talk about yet another gaffe by the venerable broadcaster of Paul's New York Yankees. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We are back. Guess who else is back? John Sterling of the New York Yankees, Paul's team. Paul would argue maybe America's team, the New York Yankees, and their broadcaster, John Sterling, had this call last night on a fly ball hit by Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo, please. This Hicks. Here's the 1-0. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. But caught. At the wall. Caught by Tapia. Paul, here's what I want from you, okay? You go out of your way to make fun of Chip Carey all the time about 
one missed call that was not on a home run. I think it was a fair foul no, issue. No, no, it was a base hit that he called the fly ball. It was a base hit that he called a fly ball. Not nearly as bad as that. You can talk about anything involving championships and many things with the Yankees versus the Braves, and I have no comeback. But with this guy calling games, until he retires, I don't want to hear about Braves broadcasters or any broadcaster ever again. No, this guy can absolutely suck. I've hated him his entire existence as a Yankee broadcaster and Susan Waldman, who said that the most amazing thing she ever saw was Roger Clemens standing in a box in, in a suite. They are atrocious. That doesn't eliminate me from being able to say other people are also bad. I'm embarrassed that they represent the Yankees in any way, shape, or form. It disgusts me. His call for home runs that are actually home runs is it is high, it is far, it is deep, it is gone. That doesn't tell me if it's barely clearing the wall or if it's out of the stadium. There, there is no detail or, or uh, context or texture to anything he calls. Hit up the middle like a bullet. It doesn't tell me if it's in the air or on the ground. I need much better radio broadcasting. I can't stand them. The people they replaced years and years ago were excellent when the Yankees cycled through a bunch of good people very frequently. And then these people are like the Pope. They have the job until death. We do these little Fox News rundown updates that take a minute. They're really fun to do because it, it entails us having to write tightly some and come writing up, involved. Come up yeah. with some, some good subjects. You heard me this morning. I asked about Gil Brandt and John Sterling. Gil Brandt, 90. John Sterling, 83. And why we're listening to people this age butcher our games and our talk radio. I want John Sterling out worse than anybody in the world. I can't stand him. I hate him more than I've hated any player that's ever been on the team. And this includes Jacoby Ellsbury, Wade Boggs, and Roger Clemens. You can't possibly like him less than I do. Well, that was an appropriate response. I will accept your response to that. That was, uh, that was good. Um, and that, Skip that Carey was awful. Sucks. It was also, well, it's Chip Carey is the, the carry you're talking suck. about. The carries, except they for not, the original carry. They do not suck. The one Skip with the big Carey, glasses in Skip Chicago. Carey did not suck. Harry Carey did not suck. Uh, Chip All Carey. the Atlanta carries. Chip, but my issue with you with Chip Carey, you saw one thing. One thing, John Sterling does this time and time and I've time said, again. John Sterling's. I'm not uh, the uh, biggest evil. Chip Carey fan, but I don't watch a Braves game and think, man, Chip Carey's awful. I, I'm not in love with him either, but he's fine. My yeah. only point with you is you, when you go to talk about this with the Braves, there are plenty of other things you can talk about with the Yankees. Do not talk about broadcasters. Let's take that off the table until John Sterling is gone. Ernie Harwell did it to me too. Hey, how about this? This news just coming down from the Des Moines Register. The Field of Dreams location in Dyersville, Iowa, this came down about five minutes ago, they are getting set to build youth baseball fields, softball fields, $80 million in private investments from Go the Distance. Go the Distance CEO is Frank Thomas. Go the Distance. Hall of Famer Frank Thomas. They're going to build youth baseball, softball fields, team dorms, and a hotel and other improvements near the movie site in rural Dyersville, Iowa. That's awesome. Um, so they're going to have some tournaments Are they there. playing a the game there this year? Yes, they are. Is it the Dodgers? They will be back. It is the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds on August oh, 11th. that's a good classic matchup. We'll play a game. I there. mean, it's not like last year, but it's not bad. Um, I think that's cool. 
I think it's cool. I, I mean, look, I mean, it's, you what can't it's going to be the is place a, and not be in you, wonder. You were talking about, about Simon going to Cooperstown, yeah, right, something possibly like that for a tournament. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, you get all these youth baseball teams, softball teams to go there, stay in dorms or the hotel, and go for a week long tournament. You better have damn good pitching and a lot of it. I am not for uh, bastardizing certain things that are you know great, but this was something created for a movie. Well, there has to be a way so for it a to way, make money yeah, yeah. in order like, to I'm, sustain it. I, I'm fine with that if you don't, if you don't cripple the actual field where they're going to be playing and, the game. And, the and area. I'm sure they're not and going to. And they didn't to. play on the actual field. They, they built the field adjacent to the field. It's a beautiful place. Uh, and there was a lot of talk that they weren't going to be able to sustain that field. Uh, you know, at times they grew in the outfield, I believe. Um, so anything that keeps it going is, is great. Will you be taking Simon to a tournament there if there's a chance to go? I would love to, but uh, practice tonight is probably going to be rained out, and these boys need to get on the field and work, work, work. This practice tonight is really holding them back from maybe a year or two from now going to this tournament. Uh, practice it is this practice that's going to set them well, on their no, trajectory. I, they need a lot of practice. That's my point. Um, Next hour, we've got Dan Dockich coming up. We'll talk about Danny Lord knows what with Dan. But when we come back to start the third hour, I uh, want to discuss a possible breakout star in the USFL, which gets started this weekend. That's coming up next. A lot of talk about quarterbacks. Anytime you get into these leagues, I've got a quarterback for you to watch this weekend in the USFL. That's next. This is Outkick 360.